As I crossed the ship, my impression was of its size. The lofty structures of three masts rising high above me, cross-hatching the sky with a complicated pattern of wooden yards, held together with a web, yes, a web, I felt, of ropes and rigging. The bases of the masts were as wide as barrels where they pierced the deck. I thought peculiarly of candles pushed into a cake. And more than anything, I tried to avoid the same wide-open cargo hatches, into which stores were busily being lowered by winches. Men with sleeves rolled up were collected around these wells, guiding the bundles and barrels down into a hold that loomed unnaturally dark and deep, as if the soul of this bark was cavernous and without measure, and above all, hungry. Assailed by these images, I was relieved to descend the five steps of a companionway and find myself in a saloon that was calm and subdued, and more like the drawing-room of a country house than I had expected. A stove near the door had already been lit, so I gladly stood next to it, holding my hands over the warming plate, listening to the soft tick of the coals burning inside. It was a very peaceful room, panelled in smooth, honey-coloured oak, with cabin doors leading off it on both sides. A long, darkly polished table reflected a skylight set above it. Beyond the table... I could see a wider space where settees and armchairs were arranged informally, with a ticking sheep's head clock on the far wall alongside a row of oil lamps. There was a smell of leather and polish, and the scent of the burning coal, along with a hint of tobacco. It might have been in any country house, except that in the very centre of the saloon, the thick column of the mizzenmast speared through the room from ceiling to floor. A panel slid open on my left, and a small man in a buttoned white tunic appeared from what looked like a pantry. He carried a napkin hung over one forearm. Behind him, a dresser was neatly arranged, with cutlery lined up at precise right angles to the counter. "'Good morning, sir,' he said, in an accent that was not English. "'Are you Mr. Saxby or Mr. Bletchley?' Saxby. And then your cabin is found right here, sir. The steward opened a door cleverly concealed in the wood panelling, directly next to the pantry. Thank you, I said, keen to establish a first glimpse of my room. Through the open door I could see a simple bunk with drawers underneath, and the corner of a canvas washstand. And the other cabins? I asked. Next to you are the quarters of Mr. French. He is first a mate. Yes, we met on deck. A quick man and tall? He raised a hand, estimating Mr. French's height. Good. Then at the end is the captain's cabin. It is larger than this, but then he is captain. He smiled softly. Quite so. He pointed to the doors on the opposite side of the saloon. Across there is the wash and the toilet. Then, that is chart room, first guest cabin, second guest cabin, and the cabin of Mr. Talbot. He is second mate, but he is not very much in his cabin. He likes it on the deck. He is a big sea dog. I was amused by the description, and probably very useful, I ventured. Yes. A useful man. 
especially with ice. I stepped into my cabin and put my bag onto the bunk. I have this list on the desk where it is written down the general arrangement for the meals and the drinks, he said, placing a finger on the list. It is there. Are you Spanish? I asked. Portuguese, sir. From San Miguel in the Azores. My name is Simao. That is a bell. You pull it if you are in need of me. I shall bring you tea in some minutes. He gave me a small smile and looked quickly about the cabin, making sure all was in order before going back to the pantry. I closed the door behind him and sat on the end of the bunk. I tried not to feel anxious. But sitting there, I felt overwhelmed by the arduous cross-country journey I'd made from Norfolk and the night I'd spent at the lodge.